his calling on us to be, uh, to be evangelists. And I'm going to dive into that here in just a second. But before I do, today's a special day because uh, I have my daughter here all the way from Europe. She's on a year mission trip. And she's actually doing a, she's doing a one-year mission trip. And she stopped in here just for a week. And I've had her for the last week. And all of a sudden, I remember why it was exciting to get her to move on and move on. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, man. I miss, I miss Vans every single day of my life that she's not here. But I'm very, very proud of what God is doing in her life. So I asked her, I said, Vans, would you, would you mind talking a little bit about what God is doing in your life over in Europe? So will you welcome to the stage, Savannah. I heard somebody actually booing you out there, Vans. <laughs> not a fan. Hello. Hey, hey um, is your mic on there? So what I wanted to ask you, first of all, Savannah, we'll, I, we'll have a few questions. And, uh, but first of all, I want to know, why in the world did you take, you graduated college last year. What was your major in? Journalism. Okay. So why would anybody, and I remember you had a few job offers, and I wanted you to get a job. <laughs> yes. Maybe pay me back a little bit for some of the money I've thrown your way a little why would anybody take a year, you called it your gap year, take a year off, go to Europe, do mission work? Uh, why did you do that, Vince? Yeah, so I've always known um, from when I was a little girl that I would be in a different country, like, doing mission work, but I didn't know where that would be and what it looked like. I've pretty much been all over the world doing mission work, but about two years ago, I went to England actually for leisure. I wasn't there for that, and I remember while I was there, God just kind of speaking to me, and um, I just remember saying, God, if like this is where you want me to be, open some doors, and I'll go. So I was given the opportunity through this organization called GEM, and I took it, and I went, and that's where I'm at. Okay, so when people think about evangelism, a lot of times, hey, do mission work, a lot of times people think, okay, we're going to go over to, you know, a third world country, and we're going to, you know, set up a revival tent, and we're going to preach to people, and people from the villages are going to come in. And I know that there's evangelism like that, but I want you to briefly talk about, because when I see pictures, and you know, we, we do a lot of FaceTiming, when I see that, you know, talk a little bit about the difference in what you do and what we've done, say, in El Salvador. El Salvador was, was third world. So talk a little bit about what you do in, where is it? England. Well, it's, that's not what you it's call it. It's about four hours north of London in a town called Stockton. Stockton. So um, Stockton is extremely rough. It's basically a third world country, a third world town in a first world country. So we do a lot of things. If you want, you can follow my blog. <laughs> Shameless plug. You can follow my blog uh, to find out like everything that I'm doing. But one thing that I specifically wanted to share with you guys this morning was um, the kids clubs that we're doing. So we run about two to three kids clubs a day. Um, ages 5 to 9, 10 to 12, and 13 to 18. And we run these kids clubs. Basically, we hang out with them um, after school. Uh, We play games with them. We just talk to them. And then at the end, we'll have like a 10-minute God slot where we talk about our faith. Um, And Did you say that phrase? Like a God slot where we talk about our faith. And um, we just give them the option, you know, we're going to talk about our faith right now, guys. You can either hang, hang around or you can leave, but we don't make them stay for that. Usually they stay for that, though. So. Okay, so what is a day, uh, what, what is, I like, you've talked to me over, and you've introduced some ideas, you can't take pictures of the kids, like, so, but tell me a little bit about some of the kids and your, your uh, interaction with them. 
Yeah, so the kids in our area, like I said, it's a very low-income area. Um, the housing estate that we run one of the kids' clubs in is called Grove Hill, and it's where I focus a lot of my time. The area is so bad and so dangerous that they almost didn't send us there. Um, usually, the kids that we work with are hungry and angry kids and, like, literal hunger. Their parents are either drug dealers or prostitutes or not around, um, so yeah, parents are not something to look up to. Uh, a lot of times kids will, um, for example, one of the kids, he's four years old. How old is Emerson? Emerson's six. Okay. Awesome. Hi, Emerson. Hi. Okay. Um, Frankie, Frankie is four years old. He can barely like formulate sentences. All right. Um, Frankie walks himself half a mile to our kids club, mainly because we serve toast. <laughs> And that's all we serve. Bread with butter. We don't even have jelly. Um, every week. And that area is so bad that they tell us not to go there after dark. And he, and he never has a coat. And it's freezing there. Okay. He never has a coat. He always stinks. Um, like isn't taken care of and is very neglected. But Frankie busts in. Um, and it's like he, he sits on my lap during Bible time. And I'm just like holding him. And he want like all he wants to be is just like loved on. Like he just wants, it's like he wants just to be held. That's all he wants. And, um, but he'll, he'll come in. And I work in the kitchen and there's like this window that opens up to the church hall. And Frankie's so little, like he comes up to the door and you can only see his eyes because he's looking over like this. And he waits the entire time for me to cook something. Um, cook, it's toast, okay, but I make a lot of toast, all right? And so he's just, he's just waiting for that. And the whole time he's like, is it right yet? Is it right yet, Vanna? And I'm like, and I'm like, no, Frankie, not yet. You know, like play. And he just doesn't want to leave. Okay, so... When we take that snack out there, guys, it's like, you better get ready because the kids are like swarming the table and then we can never put the toast on the table because it starts getting violent, okay? Kids start like hitting each other, stealing food and we have to like, there's only four um, of us, like four Americans and um, we're having to like scream. We're like, guys, more toast is coming out. Sit down, stop hitting. We're like, everybody calm down and we're getting, they're eating it before we can get it out of the kitchen. And so, um, and just, it's a lot of that. And then Frankie's got whatever we have there at the time. Sometimes people will donate us food. And whatever we have there at the time, like, Frankie's constantly two handfuls. I don't care if it's like, it could be like quinoa in like old pasta. And he's, or like tuna. And he's got two handfuls. And he's over here and it's like dripping down his hands. And he's like trying to play the games and continue eating. And he has an insatiable appetite. And so it's like that. And, and Frankie represents, like, every kid. They're all hungry. They're all being abused at home, like, all of them. We get stories every week, and they're not even shareable. Like, I can't even share them with you guys. And so, I mean, it's constant. His older brother's name is Kieran. Kieran's eight and sometimes accompanies Frankie. Kieran has some major anger issues. Anytime, he kicks off anytime, like, he loses tag, Kieran's having a breakdown. He's crying. He's throwing chairs. He's screaming. He's cussing. He's throwing rocks at us. He's like kicking the cross outside. He's like, and it, I mean, and that's Frankie in four years. That's Frankie in four years. And so it's just so important that we're there doing it, um, doing what we're doing kind of thing and just spending time with the kids and just there for them really because that's all they want. They can, we don't do hardly, like we show up, we run games. We have got nothing fancy going on. We've got no fancy food, no candy, no play swords but we show up and that's all that's enough for them and they just still continue to show up so it's really cool
one thing that I want to mention is uh, you guys may not know about Vans, but the last four years you've been, uh, w- is it the last four years? Yeah. Uh, I guess with the help of, where's Frank? With the help of Frank, she's been uh, uh, training MMA and, you know, I, I used to think there's got to be a greater purpose than this, than her just kicking me around the house, you know, because <laughs> she can kick really hard. But, uh, you know, tell us about I know that I saw some pictures of you working with some of these girls. You know, when I think of you say they're, they're, they're violent, uh, you know, I, I mean, I've heard stories. I mean, how you, yeah. these kids are mean and, and whatever, but there's a reason behind it. But this is kind of an outlet. But just tell a little bit about what you're doing with your boxing or whatever. Yeah, so it, it wasn't even my idea. It was actually the kids' idea. So my oldest group, the 13 through 18, um, found out, and I don't even know how they're spies, but they found out that I've been training for the past four years and, or that I do MMA. And so they were like, please teach, you know, like teach us how, like hold mitts for them. And so one day after, you know, our Bible thing, I like held mitts for them. And it actually was like... Uh, held mitts. Held mitts. Um, I, we just practiced boxing, okay. And so I, I, we did that in that like extra 30 minutes, like... I was, they were more vulnerable and more open about their lives in that, ex, in that extra 30 minutes afterwards than they have been in the past six months. And I was like, wow, we're doing this, like, okay. So it's actually gonna start when I go back. But like every other Saturday, I'm gonna start like holding mitts for them and like teaching them boxing. And they're really excited about it because they, you know, UFC's cool and everybody boxes over there. And so these kids are rough. Like they're the kids that go out in the middle and in the middle of our lesson, smoke weed and come back in. So it's just a great outlet and a great opportunity for them. Oh, she doesn't know. Savannah, you've been gone for the last six months, but it's legal now. So it's not a big... So we're good. Everybody's good. You guys are all legal now. All right, okay. So I'm just okay. I'm just kidding. So what I was uh, um, what I was want to tell you about that is whatever you're doing, it, it's amazing. Whatever your hobbies are, it will surprise you how God will use you in another part of the world, just doing what you do. That's what I want you to see, okay? Uh, before we go, uh, is there anything else that you want to say? I know that you wanted to thank people or something like that. Yeah, um, just lastly, if you are supporting me financially or if you're considering supporting me financially, I want to actually thank you so much because anything that we do in the kids' clubs, okay, so I show up, we play games, and we run a Bible study, okay, but anything extra on that, so if we want to give them a meal, if we want to give them a Bible, which they ask for, if we want to, like, take them out to go bowling or something like that, that comes out of my pocket, and so... um, I want to. I want to thank you. <laughs> Very funny. And so I want to actually like <laughs> support me. Or... Okay, okay, I'm teasing. <laughs> so I'm, serious wanna, moment. Go ahead. I'm yeah. Sorry. So I just I want to actually thank you guys because like it's like you're there with me. It really is. And when I buy things for these kids, like it's like you're there with me. And it, I just appreciate it. And I want to thank you from Frankie. I want to say it for Frankie and say it for the kids that I can't get on camera. Um, thank you. I really appreciate it. So. All right, Vans, love you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. So, I know that, you know, we're talking about across borders and beyond oceans or whatever. And we are all about that. And we send people. We've got other people at Faith Co. Church. We, we had somebody that was in the first service. Their, uh, their daughter uh, goes, I think, just spent some time in Africa. 
and they're doing some mission work there. And uh, then um, Richie and Glenda Brown that recently opened up Chicken Express here in Shawnee. Praise God. I was in there. I was in there the other day and he said, Pastor, I just want you to know that if I'm ever in here, you eat for free all the chicken that you want. I said, I receive that in the name of Jesus. (laughs) Please pass the gravy. Um, But, you know, a lot of times we talk about, we talk about what God is doing. We talk about the people that God is reaching in other parts of the world. But let me say this, and, and if you have your Bibles, go to Romans, the 10th chapter, because the Apostle Paul is talking a little bit about evangelism, evangelism what we're talking about. What happens is Paul reveals his heart's desire in the first verse of Romans, the 10th chapter. He says, my heart's desire is that my people will be saved. His own people, the, the, the Israelites, the Pharisees, my heart's desire is that my people will be saved. You know, God calls us uh, God calls us to our own people. So when we're talking about reaching the world, that's, that's good. Not all of us, you know, I have a job and I've got some things. I can't spend a year somewhere else, but what I can do is I can help and I can send. But uh, really, if we, want to start, if we want to talk about reaching people, I think that the, most, that the people that need us the most are our people, the people in our world. A lot of times when we talk about reaching people, we talk about reaching people in other parts of the world, but what about the people in our world? What about the person across the hallway where you work or across the room where you go to school? What about that person? What about that person across the street where you live? If we're going to reach people, we must begin with our people. If you believe that, say amen. Then after the apostle Paul says that, my heart's desire is that my own people will be saved. Especially, he says, he, he, he specifically tells us how a person's saved. If you're taking notes, I would write this down, Romans 10, 9 and 10. He says, this is how a person is saved. If you've ever asked, if you ever talked to somebody, uh, somebody, somebody might ask you, hey, how do I know that I'm saved? Well, it's in Romans 10 and 9 and 10. He says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So the apostle Paul says, this is how a person is saved. Then he goes on to say, salvation is for everyone. He says, how, this is how you do this, and this is who it's for. In Romans 10 and 13, he says, for who? Everyone. Say it again. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then the apostle Paul, he, he takes a sidestep and he raises up three very controversial, well, they're just, it's just com- confronting. He, he raises these three questions. Since salvation is easy, and since salvation is for everyone, and I've told you how to do it, and you know how to do it, he goes on to say this, the 14th verse. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? First question. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
Three very critical questions, confrontational questions for all of us. How are they going to, how is this going to happen? The answer is, they won't. They won't. We must ask ourselves this question when it comes to our culture. In our culture, we must ask ourselves, how does a non-believer of my people come to call on the Lord or hear about Jesus without me? He won't. How does a non-believer of my people come to believe in Jesus without me? He won't. The answer to these questions, the answer is you. The answer is me. How will they call on him? You. How will they believe in him? You, me. How does a non-believer hear about Jesus? How does he hear about that from you and me? How does a non-believer believe in Jesus from you and me? For 2 Corinthians 5 and 20 says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Let's just make this a little bit more personal. And we're going to replace that word we with I. Look at this. I am Christ's ambassador. God is making appeal through me. I speak for Christ. That's how personal this must be. And if this is true... If we are the answer to the message of salvation, Jesus is the answer for salvation, but we are the answer for people receiving that message. We are, we are the people that are responsible for sharing that message. If that be the case, then shouldn't we hold ourselves responsible for the people in our world that don't know Christ? Let me ask you this. If Jesus has given me the answer of salvation and he's asked me and he's commissioned me through the word, it's very clear, very evident in scripture that I am responsible for the message of salvation. If that be the case, then shouldn't I hold myself accountable and responsible for the people in my world that don't know Jesus? I believe that I should. I, let's reach the world. I can't do a lot about people in Africa. Or I can't do a lot about people that I haven't visited in countries that I haven't visited. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the people that we rub shoulders with every single day. That God has called us. Hey, if you want to reach the world, start in your world. Amen? So if that be the case, then we must hold ourselves responsible and each other accountable for people in our world who don't know Christ, our people. So how should we reach people through our evangelism gift or our evangelism calling? Number one is through our model or how we live the gospel. We reach people first of all through evangelism, through how we live the gospel. Listen to me, the most powerful form of evangelism The most powerful form of evangelism is a life that matches beliefs. The most powerful form of evangelism is a life or a life lived that matches its beliefs. If you believe that, say yes. That is the most powerful thing that you can do. On the other side of that, the the most detrimental message that we can send people is that we don't live what we teach and believe. I think that a lot of times we do more harm than good because we do that. There's a book that I read a few years ago called Unchristian, and it talks about the millennials 
in our culture. Those are between the ages of 22 and 37 years old, something like that. The people that are in college, and I get it confused with X, Y, Z generation or whatever. There's, but it's the people that are in college. They, they look at us between the ages of 22 and 37, actually. Kids that age. I've got kids that age. When they look at us, and they look at our lives. Here's how they view us. They actually view us. I'm talking about non-believing people this age. They look at our lives and they see us as hypocritical. And I, let me just read it to you. This is, from, this is a page from this book. It says this. And they did a lot of study and a lot of research. And they, this is actually a research company that wrote this book. It says this. In virtually every study we conducted, representing thousands of interviews, every year born-again believers fail to display such attitudinal and behavioral evidence of transformed lives. In all these studies that they've done, time and time again, they found out that people that call themselves Christians, people that go to church, they don't behave the way we say that we behave. For instance, based on the study that was recently released, we found that most of the lifestyle activities of born-again Christians were statistically equivalent to those non-born Christians. We're talk- not talking about sin. We're just talking about behaviors. What's the difference? If somebody were to look at your life or look at somebody that wasn't, what's the difference? Here's what they found. When asked to identify their activities over the last 30 days, born-again believers were just as likely to bet or gamble, to visit a pornographic website, just as likely to take something they did, that did not belong to them, to consult a medium or a psychic, to physically fight or abuse someone, to have consumed enough alcohol to be legally drunk, to have used illegal non-prescription drugs, or to have something or someone that, or to, or to say, to have said something to someone that was not true, to have gotten back at someone for something he or she did, or to have said mean things behind another person's back. Basically, there was no difference. And this is not about sin. This is simply about the way we behave to see whether or not, you know, why, why would somebody become a follower of Christ if there was no difference? He says this, one study we conducted examined Americans' engagement in some type of sexually inappropriate behavior, including looking at online pornography, viewing sexually explicit magazines or movies, or having an intimate sexual encounter outside of marriage. In all, we found that 30% of born-again believers admitted to at least one of these activities in the past 30 days, compared to 35% of other Americans. In statistical and practical terms, this means the two groups are essentially no different from each other. If these groups of people were in two separate rooms and you were asked to determine based on their lifestyles alone which room contained the Christians, you would be very hard-pressed to find much difference. So why do, why do people look at Christians and think that they're hypocrites? I'll let you answer that. There's no difference in our behaviors. And let me say this, and let me just throw a disclosure in here. These studies were not done at Faith Co. Church, okay? These studies were done, say, they don't know us. We're living what we're believing, okay? Let me just put that out there. All right, this is for other people. These are other Christians, all right? This is not, this is not us, Okay. Seriously, though, many times we don't live what we believe and we live a hypocritical lifestyle and it affects our evangelism gifting. 
Colossians 4 and 5 says, to live wisely among those who are not believers. And it goes on to say why and how. It says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Shouldn't our lifestyle be attractive to people that we're trying to reach? Shouldn't, it, shouldn't the people that I'm trying to reach with the gospel when they look into my life, shouldn't it be somewhat attractive? Listen, if we live a life consistent to what we're believing, if we live a life consistent to what, to what we are saying that we believe, it becomes attractive to people that are on the outside. So if you want to reach people for Christ, live what you believe. 1 Peter 2 and 11 says, be careful, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to lie about your sin. That's not what this is about. It's just that you need to be careful. If you fail, you admit it. You tell people that you're a work in progress, but this thing of, 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 of living one way and believing another and faking it, you know, hypocrite, that actually means a front. Then even if it goes on, it just basically says that. Live, live carefully to live properly among your unbelieving friends. And even if they don't agree with you, and I'm paraphrasing, they will give honor to God. If you want to walk worthy of this calling of evangelism that you've been called to model the life Christ intended for you to. Not a life of perfection, but do your best to live what you teach and what you believe. Amen? Amen. Lastly, if we're going to reach people and walk in this gift of evangelism, we have to consider not only our model, but also our message how we say things, how we communicate the gospel. Jesus was talking to his disciples before he left, and he said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit came to the earth to, to fill the believers, the believers in Jesus, in order to empower us, them and us, empower us to be witnesses of Jesus. So here's what he said. Guys, I have, I, I lived for three years with you. Now you're going to tell everybody what you've seen. When Jesus was walking the earth, he would tell them, don't tell anybody what you just saw. When he, t- when he went up to the, to the top of the mountain to be transformed, the transfiguration, when he came down with James and John and Peter, he said, don't tell anybody what you saw until after I have been raised from the dead. And then once he was raised from the dead, he said, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell everybody, and you're going to start this thing called the church, and you're going to tell everybody what you have seen. A personal witness. Now listen, when, some, when an extraordinary event takes place, and people want to know about it, they look for a personal witness. Who, uh, an eyewitness, what you've seen, Because that's how you get the truth. That's the best way to get the truth. We did not witness the resurrection of Christ, did we? So we we can't be a personal witness of the resurrection of Christ. However, we have a personal witness of a changed life. We have a personal witness. We're talking about the message of evangelism. You have a personal witness of what God has done in your life, what Jesus has done, the hope and the faith of not only the next life, but also what he has done in your life right now. And let me ask you a question about this. Are you secure enough about your witness in Christ and your belief in Christ? Are you secure enough in this in order that people can't debate that out of you? Let me ask you this. If somebody were to sit down with you and say, I want you to talk to me about your faith. Talk to me about your Christian faith. A lot of people will shy away from that because they're insecure about that. 
And I, I, what I want to, with the rest of my time, I want to tell you that it's easier than what we think. A lot of times when there's a conversation about religion or, you know, things about why the world was created or how the world was created and how the world is and dinosaurs and all these things and the flood, a lot of us as, as believers, we will shy away from that because we feel like, you know, we're not scholars or we'll get in a position where we'll be proved wrong. And, but I want to tell you something. It's easier than you think. 1 Peter 3 and 15, listen to what it says. It's talking about if someone asks about your hope as a believer. It says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for your reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness. Now, now, always be ready to give a defense. Look at this. Let me me find the word. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the... For the creation of the world? For the validity of the Bible? No. For the, uh, for, uh, is, is the world uh, 7,000 years old? Is the world billions of years old? Give, give, always be ready to, uh, for, the reason, for, the, for, for, for those things? No. It doesn't say that you need to be prepared to be able to give the historical documentation, validity of how the Bible was put together. And nobody knows that completely. But a lot of times we think that we need to be schooled in that in order to give a personal witness. But that's not what this is about. There is a hope that is on the inside of you. And then it goes on. There's a hope that's on the inside of you that you can give a personal witness that nobody can debate away. We're making this too hard. Then it goes on to say how we should do it. Yet you do this in gentleness and respect. Sometimes I don't think we do this with respect to non-believers. Do you know that you can share your hope? You can actually share and debate with respect to people. That a lot of times as Christians, we make fun of people that don't believe. I've seen it for years. And, you know, they, this, you know, this old atheist and make fun of him or makes fun of somebody that sins. We don't do it with gentleness and with love. Let me tell you something. I must lead with love when it comes to reaching, reaching people for Christ. Why would I share a message of, of the gospel? Because I love somebody. We, we do it with gentleness and respect and love. I want to tell you something. How you say something matters to somebody. And how it comes across matters. Because if it comes across like I'm too good, I'm better than you, and you need some of what I got because you're going straight to hell, nobody's going to be one to Christ with that. Love matters. How you say something matters. I don't, does anybody here carry a pocket knife? Raise your hand if you carry a pocket knife. I don't know how anybody gets, up, gets away with not carrying a pocket knife, except in government buildings. I found that out. When Baylor was being sworn in, you can't take a pocket knife in a government military building. They ain't, they ain't amused at all. That was, that was a different thing. Okay, anyway. But anyway, I got this really cool knife at Walmart, and you, you actually, it's a Kershaw, and this sucker's only 10 bucks. And they quit selling for a while, and I, I guarantee you that they're going to stop selling. It's not because of the, the, uh, the assistant opening. See what I'm saying? That, that, some people would see that as a weapon, but it's just really cool. It's very, very handy for me that, you know, I get ready, you know, do something. I just, you know, I, I'm pretty good at it. Can you tell? Okay. So... Another thing is why I carry a knife is because I love apples. I really, I, I literally eat an apple a day. You know what I'm saying? I really like to eat apples, but I don't like to eat an apple with my teeth like that. I don't want to crunch into an apple because the outside peeling, if you eat it like that, 
it gets in between your teeth and then you got to go back and floss again. I ain't going to floss more than once a day. You know what I'm saying? So, so if you peel an apple and you open it, you know, if you, if you peel an apple and you open it up like that, okay, now you can eat it like that and the peeling doesn't get in your teeth. So does anybody else eat an apple with a knife? Okay, so you get it, all right? Well, Baylor comes to me, and I'm like, I'm in meetings all day Monday. My, my day on Monday is filled, is filled with meetings and one-on-ones and all that. So I'll eat during the meeting. So Baylor comes to me uh, a couple weeks ago. He said, Dad, you have to stop having meetings, you know, while you're eating apple, and you have to stop saying controversial things and open up your knife. Because it's coming across. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So he showed me, so I'm going to show you something. Hey guys, we're going to have to cut back on spending because we've got to cut back. We've got some major cutbacks because of the next season. And I'm going to be talking to every one of you guys. <laughs> Bobby, I got to noticing that you, you had some people, you had some... Um, not everybody for the host team showed up. I don't know what's going on, but you and I, we need to have a one-on-one. <laughs> Listen, kids, I'm tired of the way your rooms look. I want you to get in there, and I want you to clean your rooms, and if not, we're going to have issues. <laughs> I would strongly recommend, I didn't notice this until I started doing I would strongly recommend that you get you a knife and have a meeting because all of a sudden you got everybody's attention. <laughs> Everybody, we're going to make some cutbacks and we're starting with you. (laughs) Here's a point. I know we're having fun, but here's a point. How you say things matter. What you say and how you say matters. And could we be sending the wrong message to people, saying the right things, but saying it in a wrong way? Can I, a lot of times I ask myself, can I defend my faith? Back to this. It's easier than you think. Here's the deal. I want you to know your faith. I want you to have an educated answer when you know your faith. But more than that, I want you to understand that debating is a waste of time. Nobody has ever been won into the kingdom of God, really, that I know of. I've never won anybody to the kingdom of God by debating them and proving them wrong. See, you're completely wrong. Now give your life to Christ. It never works. Your best defense, don't miss this, your best defense is your own personal story. That's what it is to be a witness for the Lord Jesus. Your personal story, nobody has a greater effect on reaching your people than you with your personal story. Hey, listen, I don't know about all that stuff about creation. Listen, I'm giving you an answer. I don't know about all that creation. There's things about the Bible I don't understand. Listen to me, but I don't have to understand everything in order to believe something. And here's why I believe it's not about that. It's not about because somebody proved me the Bible. Somebody proved and showed me the documentation, how the Bible was put together. There was, there was enough historical documentation or proof, historical proof about the resurrection of Jesus. No, that, that, that didn't win me. What won me is when I gave my life to Christ, God put my family back together. You know what I'm saying? Nobody can argue that with you. I don't know about all that. But when I gave my life to Christ, God turned my life completely around. God has blessed me and God has prospered me. I'm so much better that I know God. It's not just about what happens beyond this life. It's about the here and now. And I'm telling you, I don't know about all that stuff, but I do know this. Once I gave my life to Christ, he changed me forever. I know what it is to love. I know what it feels like to be loved. I know what it's like to have a relationship with a holy God. That is your best evangelism. 
statement. So it's not about all that stuff that you don't know. It's about what you do know that people can't argue with. If you want to reach people for Christ, model, live what you believe. And number two, the message, how you say something. And God has given every one of us something to say that is completely undebatable. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here. And thank you for speaking to us today. And I believe, Lord, that you are speaking to us right now. Thank you for the gift of evangelism that we have been called to. And Lord, sometimes we, we, I believe that we take for granted this calling that you placed in our lives. And I pray that you will speak to every person today that needs to be challenged or confronted in this. In the name of Jesus. As your heads are bowed, maybe God's speaking to you. I'm talking to you. You're a believer. You believe in Jesus. He's Lord and Savior of your life. But you have neglected this call of evangelism. It's not because you walked away from God or anything like that. But I pray that God will put people in your path every single day. The people that only you can reach. Here's the deal. There are people in your world at your job every single day. They don't know it, but they're counting on you. They're counting on you to share the gospel with them. They don't know it, but they're counting on you to share the gospel with them. And if you don't share the gospel with them, it might be that they never hear that message. They trust you. They're around you. They might work with you. They might go to school with you. And God has called you and given you assignment and placed you in the lives of other people. And they are counting on you to share the gospel. They are counting on you to to share your story with them. To be that example. To give that message. So Lord, I pray for every person that's here. Every believer that's here. That maybe be, that might be slacking in this area. I know that that's me, Lord. This message is very convicting to me. There are people every day of my life that I see that I ignore. But Lord, today that changes. Lord, I will be an example. And if you believe this, just pray it with me. Lord, I will be an example. I will, be, I will, I will fulfill the calling of evangelism in my life. And if somebody is ready and prepared to give their life, if you'll send them my way, and if there's any inkling or a hint that they're ready to hear it, I'll share my story. And I pray, Lord, that Faith Code Church is an evangelistic type of church, a church that walks in the gift of evangelism, Lord, that that you can trust to send people that don't know you. In the name of Jesus, if you receive that, say amen. If you'll continue to bow your heads. Now, we've talked about us as a church, but what about you if you don't know Christ, if he's not Lord and Savior of your life, for whatever reason, maybe you have never surrendered your life to Christ, or maybe you've walked away from him. The first step to reaching people is surrendering your own life. 
Maybe you've never committed your life to Christ. Or maybe you've been half in or half out. And maybe God is speaking to you today. Maybe this this message of reaching people is drawing you to give your life to Christ. If that be the case, I want to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come down here. I'm not going to single you out. You're not going to get embarrassed in any way. I just want you to pray the same kind of prayer. But if I'm going to pray this prayer, I, I want to know that people are serious about this. And I want to know if I'm praying for people. So just between you, me, and God, if you can say, Travis, I don't know Jesus, but if you'll pray, I'm going to pray it right now with you and I'm going to give my life to Christ. Real quickly, put your hand up and put it down so I know I'm praying for people. Can anybody say that? I see your hand right there. See your hand over here on the left, both of them over there. You can put them down. See your hand over here on the right. You can put it down right there. Anybody else? Anybody else before we pray? I don't want to miss anybody. Okay, we're going to pray, and as we pray, if you lifted your hand, and if I didn't see it, that's okay. God saw your hand in your heart. If you didn't raise your hand and you want to be in, in on this prayer and give your life to Christ, just repeat this prayer after us. We'll all pray together. Mean it with all your heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I give you my life today. And Jesus, I accept you as Lord and Savior of my life. And I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins and wash me clean and whole. And take my life and use it for your cause. I give it to you today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.